Shut up and sit down. Welcome to the Health and Wealth Podcast with your hosts, Tim and Carter. What's trending in Richards? Carter Wilcoxie, founder of CSI Financial Group here with my co-host and former wealth advisor, Tim James, founder of chemicalfreebody.com and your new health advisor. This is the show where we reveal the connection between physical and financial abundance. Hey, welcome back in Richards. Carter Wilcoxon here. Pleased to be joined by Mr. Chemical Free Body himself, the truth, freedom, and health fan aficionado, Mr. Tim James. Tim, how are you, my man? Hey, dude. Doing really awesome. Um, oh, man, I wish I had my... Did all I do? Oh, here it is. I get... You listeners won't be able to see this, but my girlfriend and I, we went back to Eastern Oregon to see my mom and dad. I'll show you guys the the, the best picture. And um, uh, it's right now it's breeding season. It's just coming to an end for, for elk. And um, so we went up where I used to archery hunt and got into the elk. And I called them in. If you called in a pretty big six-point bull, some cows, and then went around. Then we got into a whole bunch of them, saw probably like 14 bulls, a whole 50 60 cow elk and then then i knew where they were going and so i we went around the corner all the way i don't know it's probably three miles away she's like this isn't where they're going to be i said they'll be here and then they showed up and we got them and she started taking picture after picture and then they kind of went around the corner there's this open hillside on the left and around the corner was all dick uh dark timber but there's this trail this old skid road and it was grown up with brush on both sides well, as we started going around the corner, one of the elk uh, uh, was still there on the right sauce, and it bolted. It bolted, like just took off back the way that it came. And another one did the same thing. So all the elk around the corner that we couldn't see freaked out. Oh. And since those elk were going that way, they turned around, and 40 head of elk come full speed down the head around the corner right at us. A whole herd of elk running at me and my girlfriend. She bails. <laughs> And um, leaves me there. And I, and, and like in a millisecond, I was just like, just a piece came over me. I'm like, don't move. Just wave your arms and stuff like this. So I had a bit, bunch of fir branches from a tree because I had actually was carrying them with me. They're like my portable blinds. So we could, and we needed them too because we were in that road and I stuck them down like that. And then we hid behind these fir branches. She was taking all these pictures. And earlier she's like, what are you carrying those branches around? I said, it's my portable blind. We might need it. We did. And then um, I started going like this and waving at them. And this, this herd of elk comes. And all of a sudden, you could see their eyes when they recognized that I was, like, not a tree. Yeah. <laughs> and then they just I, – I, I, like, literally, they just parted around me like Moses in the Red Sea. One oh my bunch goodness. went to the right, a bunch went to the left. And then this great big huge bull um, came up. Wow. And, and then I cow called at him, and he bugled, and she snapped that photo. Look at that. Wow. So, Tim, I got to ask you, did, your, did, did your life flash before your eyes a little bit, though? Nope, nope. Wow. I was back, back home, used to it. Well, I'm used to cows running at me. We ran a lot of cattle growing up as a kid and horses. I'm more scared of horses, man. Those damn things are huge. I'm very, uh, I have a high awareness around walking around the back of a horse. Yep. Like, I've seen horses, like, kick like kick yeah. walls and shit and put holes in barns. And I'm like, I don't ever want to kick. They're just a huge, and these, these elk aren't anything to mess around with. I mean, that one kick they could kill you, but. Um, Is that what they I, call a six point? That one you showed us? Yeah, that one actually was a six point. So it's, it's six points, six times. It was perfectly symmetrical, pretty much. Um, it would be called what was called a, it would be called a typical. If it was, if somebody like, 
you know, shot it and they scored it, it'd be scored it, or they found the yeah. shit. Looks like it's swearing at you or something. Like it's like yelling. Yeah, at you. He, he was bugling. He was bugling yeah. right there. It was That's pretty freaking awesome. So we did that. We had all that done wrapped up, and I put three big windows in my mom and dad's house, and uh, and finished caulking a um, a little shed. So um, yeah, we got a lot done this weekend and had a good time. So it was awesome. And now here we're we're with Mike. We're gonna learn about lead generation for advisors. Have Not as exciting time. as that experience you just explained. <laughs> well, it'll allow you to go have the time to go out into nature and spend time with your lady or your hubby or your kids, right? If you have good leads, this is your problem. You know, that's if you, if you don't have good leads, excuse me. This is like um, problem 101. It's like what they should say in the Series 6 and 66 and the Series 7, the first question should be, yeah, it's great that you get your license, but, you know, where are you going to get your business from, right? <laughs> yeah. Because right, you're like all dressed up and you got no place to go, no place, nobody to talk to. There's, imagine a dentist and he can't, if his hands aren't in your mouth, he is not making money. And financial advisors, if you don't have somebody sitting across the table from you, you are not making money and it's going to be stressful. And you're always going to be chasing um, for leads. And it takes a long time to build up referrals. And today there's a lot of automation stuff. And so if you can have a ton of leads coming in all the time too, your life will be better. You'll get better clients because you can cherry pick the people you want to work with and send the jerks off to the other advisors and let them work with them and, and, <laughs> and, and you know, just make them hate the industry. I <laughs> take the good ones. So Legion's pretty darn important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And, and uh, so in Richards, we are, uh, it's a great segue to get into introducing our guest today on the show. I was, um, very honored to have met Mike Rosenberg from Smart Assets uh, maybe a few months ago. And during our conversation, I remember it, it, it had nothing to do with being on the podcast whatsoever. We were talking about Smart Asset and how we might be able to partner together in some different areas. Because obviously, as, uh, as the enrichers are listening, they know that we are all about client acquisition, right? That's It all begins and ends with client acquisition. So I, I was thinking, you know, there might be something here. But as I got to know Mike a little bit better on that initial conversation, uh, and, and we were having a, a meeting like like the way we're doing our podcast here today for you viewers, I'm like, man, you got to be on my podcast. I don't know if we're going to be able to do anything <laughs> together, but you know, you've got some really interesting things about you. You're a very compelling uh, presenter. Whenever you're talking about, you know, you got this passion about you and everything. I'm like, dude, you make a great guest on the show. Would you entertain being a guest on the podcast? And Mike, what did you say? Yeah, I said, sign me up. This would be my first podcast ever. And Carter, likewise. I mean, I kind of figured early on, it, it might not be a business fit, but ever so often I get into a conversation with someone where I'm just like, this is the type of person I want to work with. Like, you have something good to offer. So if any way we can work together, I'd be, I'd be happy to try to try to help. And likewise, so I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for, thanks for the invite. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so here's what we do on the show: our enrichers, as we call them. Um, that you're going to get a chance to sort of share, you know, your your journey a little bit. So, let's go back in the way way machine, if you will, and um, let's talk a little bit about how you got into where you're at today, right? I mean, I mean, most people don't start out thinking to themselves, "Oh, I'm going to be in sales," right? In some capacity. Obviously, you are in sales, but it's a, you know it's a very much a relationship business. Um, so I, I really want to be able to pull out of you 
you know, some things that led you to what you're doing today and maybe some of the things that you've experienced in your life that make you good at what it is that you're doing. That may not be a traditional way of doing it, right? I mean, not that you went to go get your MBA and that teaches you how to be great at sales anyway, right? But, um, you know, what was it that led you down this path? Did, you know, so did it start back in, you know, growing up, something your parents did, something that you saw in high school, maybe college, maybe a girlfriend led you down that path, whatever it was. So, so take us back and, uh, you know, share a little bit of where you come from and then, uh, you know, what led you there? Sure. Well, well, going way back, I grew up in, in Wellesley, Massachusetts, um, and my family's always been in the restaurant industry. So maybe that was one reason why I didn't go into the restaurant industry personally. But um, uh, I don't know how detailed we want to get in this part, but, but basically my grandfather started Dunkin' Donuts. And so my family has always been, been heavily restaurant. My dad opened up different restaurants and, and franchises, Discovery Zone, I guess, is, is one of them, if people remember back in the 90s. But the restaurant industry was really something in which I thought I would go into until I realized how hard it is, especially, uh, you know, working as a bartender and then a server and then going to be general manager at his place. So, so when I went to college uh, down at Tulane, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to get into. Um, I knew I wasn't an academic. I always got good grades, but kind of was more of the gift of gab was always going to be my thing. So when I was looking for um, a job, well, senior year was Katrina. That could be an interesting story. Did a, had to, had to get overcome that. But then when I got back to uh, Massachusetts, I was looking at, all right, what do I want to do? And I remember a job at New York Life Retirement Plan Services opened up and they were offering me um, my licenses, Series 7, 6, and 63. And the marketing avenue was offering me nothing but, but hope. And I figured, all right, let me, let me dive into to this job at New York Life because I've got a lot of advisors in my family. And I think this is something that I want to get licensed, see how I play in, in the advisor world. And that's really what kind of got my start. And then unfortunately, that was 2008. So I had a crash course in um, being a service rep where a bunch of people that worked at 160 different companies thought I was the one person that stole 40% of their wealth when I was just the person answering the phone, moving mutual funds uh, in their retirement account. So it was an interesting crash course in finance, not the best start, I guess, but it taught me a lot, not only about retirement plans, but about investing and about kind of, uh, it's not a gain or loss until you buy or sell. And so that kind of got me, unfortunately interested. I don't mean like I wish 08 never happened uh, in the financial collapse and I had to go through that, but it was an interesting time in realizing that how important it is, the education of it. And if I could get some sort of job, not answering this phone, um, but but maybe in finance for a better way, then, then this was an avenue I wanted to go into. So, um, okay. Threw a lot at you, Carter. I, no, I no, know. no. That, that, that would be that as interesting great. as possible. That, no, are you kidding me? The, there's a lot of really, really good things and tracks that we can, you know, go down and everything. Um, so here's what I want to do. What I want to find out is, how much partying did you do as a green waiver? Too much. I mean, they're, they're obviously, the bars don't close. And, you know, I wanted to go someplace that was far enough from home in Boston, but also a warm weather state. That was pretty much, and, and I just went to the best school that I got into. So that was my criteria. And then, uh, yeah, New Orleans, where we packed our fridge full of venison, speaking of the elk, um, from my guy from Montana. And uh, 
also Katrina. So it was a lot of good experiences, good and bad, but um, that was pretty much it on the criteria. So, yeah. So um, Tulane is a, is a very well-known school for, um, for uh, attorneys to go to, to get their law degree. Yep. So it was there, was there an attraction from that capacity at all for Tulane or it would just be like, it's the only school that gave me a, a scholarship. No, I, I'm I'm addicted to podcasts that deal with with murder and detective stories, but I know that the actual fine print is you have to read a ton. And I was I was a, a reader, but not an avid reader, so I knew law was never going to be my bread and butter. I, I really thought maybe it was going to be owning a franchise, a restaurant, something in business. Uh, I've always been surrounded by advisors, but like I, I really had no idea coming out of college. I got it together though after I pledged. Pledging semester was a, was was a nightmare for my grades, but after that, I buckled down and came out with a, a reputable three point one GPA. I think when it, when it was all said and done, nice, awesome, not great, just serviceable, you know, for New Orleans. Well, so I, I got to tell you, so in Richards, here's the deal: if you have never been to New Orleans, um, I'm going to say that arguably, um, two things: number one, arguably the greatest food on the planet. Okay. Yep. But number two, also arguably, the greatest people watching place on the planet as well. So um, my wife, my, um, my, my better half, if you will, Christina, she had never been to New Orleans. And, and the infancy of CSI Financial Group was I'd started a relationship with an estate planning attorney in Covington, Louisiana. And I would fly out to her office once a month for an entire week selling my life insurance and annuity. Talking about lead acquisition, right? Here's here's the infancy of everything it is we do. So I would fly out there and she would have me scheduled for an entire week, back to back to back to back meetings, five of them in a row for five straight days with all of her clients as an estate planning attorney who needed life insurance and annuities that I could obviously be able to sell. Great way to break into the retail space, by the way. Um, but flying out there once a month from Phoenix, um, it, it really gave me a, an appreciation for that area. I fell in love with that area, but my wife had never been there. So here's the point of the story in Richards. My wife's alma mater, Baylor University, was playing Georgia in the Sugar Bowl right before all of this shit that we're dealing with right now happened, right? Um, so we went to New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl and she, of course, she had never been there before. So it was just a phenomenal experience. And we ended up meeting um, three, these three guys at, um, what the hell is that name of that um, very famous bar downtown in the, um, not Pato's? The what is it? Pato's? That's yes. where they got the hurricanes and the yes. Pato bar? Yes, yes. So we go in, I'm wearing her, so she played softball at Baylor University, right? I'm wearing her Baylor softball jacket, the, this big jacket, because, it's you know, it's January. It's still chilly there. It's overcast. And we end up meeting these three guys from Dallas that were there for some bachelor party or whatever. Still great friends with them to this day. But they were like, man, we got to have that jacket. Well, I got to have that jacket. So anyway, we just had so much fun drinking these hurricanes all day and all night long. And um, she got her fill of New Orleans, and it was a it was a great trip for her to go to and everything. So when you said you went to Tulane, which I didn't know that until this podcast recording, 
um, I was like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to talk a little bit about that experience. Maybe what what you had there, and especially from the Northeast, going down there, a little bit of culture shock at all. Yeah, culture shock, but Southern hospitality is real. Like I just went down there two weeks ago because me and my friends, we we pretend it's for fantasy football, but it's just a way for me and all my college buddies to like get together once per year. And it's been about two years with COVID since we did it. So we went back down to New Orleans and like from the minute you step off of the plane, like it's just a completely different world and people wanting to talk to you from the cab driver to the person at the hotel to like everybody around you is just there to just talk and be friendly. And that's Maybe that's why, you know, I've also become who I am today. Because, like, coming from Boston, that's not always the case. In fact, it's more, like, confrontational anytime you go and talk to someone around there. So um, I love New Orleans, and it will always hold a a pretty strong place in my heart. I've probably been back 12 times since I graduated. Wow, that's awesome. So, um, well, the the other thing that I do want to, you know, peel back the layers of the onion a little bit more, because you just kind of sort of, like, Oh yeah, so they, you know, my family started Dunkin' Donuts. Like that's just no big deal. Like that's just yeah, we started Dunkin' Donuts. I, I tried to add some spice to it. I mean, like if I got any sort of like gravitas, people like wanting to talk to me, like I never mentioned this to anyone. But I figured if this is your podcast and you're nice enough to to host me for the first time ever, might as well throw it out there to see if it sparks some interest. But so I, remember, I really... this is the health and wealth podcast. Right. So I have a question for you. So. It was really interesting. Um, the, the there's a fan the family that had owned Baskin Robbins. You know the 31 flavors of ice cream, or maybe it's like 300 million flavors now. Um, <laughs> of course, right? they merged with Dunkin'. Well, we have one one of their one of their one of the sons or the grandsons was like a super smart genius. You don't know if you know the story, but and he decided he was like a scientist, and he decided he was going to prove how awesome the ice cream was. So he got into it and he dug and he researched and he researched and he came back and he said, you have got to, we have got to stop selling this to people. Like literally (laughs) it's, it's it's killing people. And he was excommunicated out of the family and out of the will and everything. But he said, he said, I had to do it. He goes, I did my research. And he's like, dairy products are killing people. And I, I mean, I've been in the health space now for 11 years and I grew up on a Hereford cattle farm. And, you know, I saw Michael Jordan with milk mustache and all these people. And I was chugging milk like crazy, man. And, but, um, you know, it's just, it's a side story there, but where are you at on that? Are you like, uh, the, the circles of death? Are those good or? I mean, <laughs> my uncle, my uncle, Bob, like he actually was part of the merger of Baskin Robbins with Dunkin' Donuts. So I guess I take this personally, your attack. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, listen, I think everything in moderation. Yeah. Um, I'm not one to tell anyone how to live their life, nor I think. Some of the things that other people do might just be as bad. So, like, I honestly, I agree. Yeah. I think I always need to monitor myself in terms of my own health. But, uh, but no, well, I, I think, think it's one of those things too. Because probably when they're point. making them, they didn't know. They just want to make a freaking good donut. You know what I mean? There's all this stuff has come out. People had no clue. Like, my parents are good, decent Zero. people, and they're still eating. They're still doing dairy. My dad's got arthritis, and, and he doesn't get it. You know what I mean? So, um. Yeah, I just thought that was really interesting, and I didn't know they merged. So that's 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 yep. crazy. Yeah, story. He, yeah, no, and, and it's not a personal attack because I think my my family um, and Dunkin' Donuts really took off when, uh, like in the late or early two thousands, um, after it's been sold out of my family, and you now you see it in the back of the Red Sox, and like it's mm-hmm. national, it's it's everywhere. Like it was 
prominent when I was growing up, but it wasn't the 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 brand you know of today. So it's a bit, yeah. a bit that's why I don't mention it. I, I only mentioned it on this podcast because I thought it could spark some conversation. But in reality, I don't ever mention it to anyone when I meet them because you eat donuts I didn't in the do closet it. then? What? You eat donuts in the closet? Are you a closet donator? <laughs> no, never I mean <laughs> Honey glazed donuts are pretty delicious, but no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't eat many donuts. I got enough vices. I don't need to add donuts. Man, I used to eat donuts like by the dozen. My kids, I had to fight them for me, with me for them. Man, that's like, I used to, there was this little Mexican place we used to go to and I would, afterwards, man, their donuts were freaking huge. They were massive. And then guess what? I ate too many of them and I was massive. So I learned, I learned my lesson. Oh Yeah. I definitely have some sort of like eating addiction. I'm going to blame it on the Dunkin' Donuts, but I'm like, that's why I don't even eat donuts. I'm more of like, just stick yeah. to the, the sandwiches. But Krispy Kreme was big down south, so not worth yeah. mentioning. People mm-hmm. would obviously want to go toe-to-toe with me if I did. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, well, hey, I, I know that we're probably coming up on a break and everything, but I, I would just, I thought that was, if nothing else, that was, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, you Good for you, not good for you. In moderation, by the way, I believe everything <laughs> in moderation, right? There, there is so much. There is something, you know, too much of a good thing that does actually exist, right? Um, but that's just when you said started Dunkin' Donuts, and then me as a kid, you know, I'll be fifty in January. Everybody's coming to my big fiftieth birthday bash. Hopefully, I, I'm everybody's invited on the podcast. <laughs> um, the uh, I just remember, you know, the Dunkin' commercials. Time to make the donuts, right? The oh, yeah. guy waking up every morning. Time to make the donuts, right? So when you said Dunkin' Donuts, it's like um, all this flood of memories came back to me of when I was like, you know, 10 years old. Yeah. I've got a Fred the Baker sign, time to make the donuts. Thanks, Mike, or something. That's <laughs> the one picture I have in my kitchen that just to let people know. Yeah. That's awesome. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so we're going to take a I break, but I want to let everybody know it's okay to have a donut once in a while. It's Thank cool. you. Thank you. Yes, it's not. This is the Health and Wealth Podcast. This isn't the, the you know, um, what's it, the soup? No- we're not the donut Nazis over here. <laughs> I was just joking a little bit, but yeah. everything in moderation. So yeah. we're going to take a quick break. When we get back. We're going to dive into Mike's lead asset generation tools, what his company's all about. We'll be right back. Estate planning. What does that even mean? When the inevitable happens for everyone on this planet, your estate plan kicks into action. But first, let's start with what an estate is. An estate is simply everything you own. Now, here's the issue and what needs to be understood when this event occurs. You only have two choices on this plan. Number one, either you plan how your estate gets handed out and distributed to those you leave behind. Or number two, your state decides who gets everything you own. For the first time ever, you can now take complete and total control of this plan that you've been deprived of for most of your life and generations before you. You can get personalized assistance along the way with a team of specialists whose job it is to make sure you have true peace of mind. It's important to understand that estate planning is a journey and rest assured that our team will be available to you all along the way and at every step. Welcome to eState Plan, home of the last estate plan you'll ever need. To learn more, make sure to reach out to your local advisor licensed with us or go to our website for more information.
What's up, Enrichers? Tim James here. I'm back with my co-host, Carter Wilcox. And today in the house, we've got Mike Rosenberg from... Now, we're going to be talking about... You've got a couple businesses. We're going to be doing Smart Advisor. We've been talking about that. But if you want to talk about smart assets, smart asset, we can do that too. But Mike, why don't you get into like like what your company does and how you help advisors, and then we'll let uh, Carter take it from there. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, kind of picking up from... The story I didn't really tell was like, I've got a, a bunch of family members that are financial advisors. I was a financial advisor wholesaler for a long time selling mutual funds. And we would basically go into offices. I did the Midwest and the Northeast. And, you know, a lot of them, you know, we bought our mutual funds because they were some of the best in the Texas. But, but in reality, we were doing marketing for them, whether it's client din dinners and seminars, um, you know, events and, and, and kind of how to grow their business organically or through my help um monetarily and so that was really the catalyst which when i heard about smart asset um i asked them you know what they do technology has gotten to a place where a lot of people are going online i knew a lot of lead companies back from 2010 to 2000 roughly 18 didn't really do what they said they would do or have the backup involved so a lot of advisors felt disenfranchised by by using lead companies but when I heard a smart asset, I, I listened to their process and, and how they ran it and their vetting and their transparency. And I said, okay, so this might really work because it's not just what we're telling people we're doing. We're actually showing the proof involved in how we do it. And that's really when um, I was looking for a new job. I said, this is the right job for me because I don't think there's anything else out there that does what smart asset does. And it's not because they set out to do it. It's because of how they were founded and they're their visibility in the financial news space. Um, when I heard about that and, and their process, I was like, this is a company that should do extremely well and make advisors a lot of money. I mean, like you guys mentioned earlier, incredibly hard to ask people or grow your business as an advisor, especially if you're starting out. I, I felt like when I was a wholesaler, there was two ways that you can do it. One would be you get linked up with a team as a junior advisor so they can kind of nurture you and have the clout in backing so when you go to talk to investors mainly i guess your family and friends you know to start with that you could say listen it's not just me one year in the business it's me and a seasoned advisor and a team behind me and the seasoned advisor would use them just as well to bring bring money in because they didn't want to be the one to ask for the money but they also knew that they needed to grow and vice versa the the junior advisor knew he didn't have the experience but he had the energy put forth to, to go bring in that money the second way is you had a lot of family money or 50 million off the bat to grow your business. So how else, if those two things aren't involved, are you going to be able to do it? Well, you got to come up with some sort of network. And, and that's where smart asset comes into play because we have the best leads, in my opinion, based on our visibility in the financial news space. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, you know, smart asset, if you don't mind, you know, here's your opportunity to talk about, why advisors like working with you? What's the typical conversation you're having with advisors when they're, you know, trying to poke the holes in the boat, right? Like, oh, sounds too good to be true, maybe, or whatever the case may be. So, you know, share with the share with the uh, enrichers what it is that really helps to to get them over the hump to decide that, yeah, this just makes sense. Let's do it. Sure. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm a straight shooter. I can really only sell stuff that I truly believe in. And, and since I've joined Smart Asset in 2018, I've brought in a lot of money for financial advisors. I mean, it's a two-way street, though, because advisors that sign up, 
have to be willing to do some follow-up with our coaching, you know, emails, phone calls, and then of course have to sell their business once they get someone on the phone. But really my sell to them comes down to, to something that I've always looked at. Like I, I, as a salesperson, I don't trust any salespeople. I'm like, great. This sounds, this sounds amazing, but where's the proof? And I think what really grabbed me about this product and what I sell to advisors is that all right, if you can name another product out there that has a 31 page by page question survey, you know, where people have to come in organically, finish it organically, as well as opt into having an advisor reach out. Um, and we show that to you through the proof of the lead, then, okay, you have me stumped, but I know that there's nothing else out there that does that. And there's a lot of different companies out there that will try to sell you on a meeting or on a high number of leads versus the cost. But what it comes down to it is just like, okay, I get that survey. I know they filled it out. And so therefore that's the proof I need. I mean, at the most basic level, that's kind of what I hung my hat on. Now, since I've joined the company, obviously there's a, there's a whole host of other features and other things that we can do that others can't, that generally take 30 minutes to explain. Don't want to obviously throw the pitch out there, but I'd say at the core, that's kind of what what made me really interested in joining and, and what I still use as the, as the main part of my, my presentation. Yeah. So, um, and not to put you on the spot here, Mike, but you know, uh, the, those who are listening to your pitch, so to speak, um, a lot of them, you know, especially because we are in the advisor, you know, recruiting space as well with, you know, with, with CSI and obviously with Epic Services Company now being launched, you know, we're working with a lot of advisors, bringing value add to them for those client acquisition opportunities. But uh, a lot of the questions that I get are, okay, so just out of curiosity, do you have anybody else that's using the system that, you know, um, the retention, what does that look like? You know, do you get those types of questions? Because typically the proof's in the pudding, right? If if you have advisors that are constantly, continually using your services over and over and over again, they're doing that because it works, right? So is that a question that you get uh, during your conversations? Yeah, of course. I mean, well, less now than it was in the past. I mean, there are some people that are like, I, I read such and such. This person had a bad experience. Can you hook me up with an advisor that did well? And, you know, we used to do that. Um, but it's self-serving because then you give them someone and they're like, well, that you gave us the best. Can I get another one? Uh, similar to the, the funniest thing I got recently was you match people up with three advisors. Can I get three advisors that are currently working it as, as a spectrum? And I'm, I just like to think when in, when in business, do you call up like Comcast or some cable company, you go, could I, could I hear three service providers that, that want to call me and talk to me about it? It's, it's tough. Because we signed privacy agreements, and obviously when things are working, people don't want to share their secrets, especially in the advisor world, in their own territory when they feel like they're taking advantage of something that no one knows about. But I would say that from a, a standpoint of, of this working, I mean, we closed our Series D funding, valued at a billion dollars. We're the second. Um, there's one other company that, that has been valued at a billion dollars that has raised less funding than us. So we're doing something right. Um, and our retention rate being 92% under contract speaks for itself. But, but really, I say to anybody that's looking to, to work the leads, that's why I hang my hat on the survey. Because if you're looking to grow and you're looking to get new customers, so to speak, then like what else are you comparing us to? Um, and where else are you going? Now, we have case studies 
that are real people with just changing the face and name. And we do give out on occasion advisors that are willing to talk, but, but most advisors are looking to work their own leads, not try to convince another advisor to join the platform. So it's, it's a, it's a tricky balance. 92% retention rate. That's like, see, see, to me as a, as a business person, I'm like, if somebody has that, I'm like, something's working. You, you can fool some people some of the time, but you can't fool all, all the time right there. So, I mean, I would be interested. Why wouldn't I? Yeah. And I've done win back campaigns early on where I thought I'd be yelled at. Like, I'm like, Oh, this person left the platform. So you're telling me I got to call them up. And I would be like, I'm here to gather information about your experience. Cause I was terrified to be like, let me resell this person. I'm not a hard salesperson. It, like it kills me. Like, I don't even like when I'm sold to. So when I did that and I went through every lead with those people, I realized, oh my God, they didn't even realize how much money they were making. Because like all you need to do is sign one out of 20 leads or one out of even 30. And if it's reoccurring revenue and you just paid for the leads, then you're going to be making money. Now, how much money and versus what else could you be doing out there? That's a conversation I have to get in more depth with, with each advisor. But I realized that, that at very minimally or conservative levels that this thing as an investment is making advisors a ton of money. And that's really where I realized, okay, this is a company that like, as long as you walk through that exercise with people, you'll realize that it doesn't take much and then it's reoccurring revenue. So yeah, I'm, I'm completely sold on it and, and it takes a lot to sell me. So the tough part is, is talking to advisors that a got to put up the money up front and don't trust you or B have been burned in the past by these type of companies. So you have to kind of try to convince them that this is going to work, but, but more often than not, it does. Um, but once again, advisors do have to put in work. Like you have to make a cadence, you have to make the calls and you have to be somewhat likable. That's the part of this business that's hard to quantify or sell someone on because part of that end is on them. So just out of curiosity, Mike, uh, who is like, when you're talking to your, what you would consider your ideal client, who you know, whenever you're talking to them as a, as a prospective advisor, looking at smart asset, looking at smart advisor, you know, do you have sort of like, you know, checkpoints? You're like, oh, this guy's perfect or this gal's wonderful. This They're going to be successful. And, and maybe your approach with them is a little bit different simply because of how the conversation goes. Maybe they're more personable um, as opposed to maybe somebody else. And then, and do you sometimes to kind of sort of uh, segue away from that, do you sometimes have to tell advisors, this just might not be for you? Yeah. I mean, on one end, if any advisor that I'm talking to has done any sort of business marketing wise and they've done it successfully, I'm fired up. I'm like, because that's the part that's hard to quantify is like, have you done marketing and been successful in that marketing? Because if that's the case, then we should do really well uh, working with you. But if you haven't, then it's more of a trust thing. Like, will you make the calls? Like, will you be able to intro yourself well? Like from a 30 minute conversation, I'd be disingenuous if like I told someone, oh, you're gonna do great if I don't really know what their intro call is or how they pitch their business. But, but in all honesty, all it takes is some like caring coming from a caring perspective, looking to help people and, mm -hmm. and not being aggressive, like you owe me a meeting because I bought this lead. That's really the criteria that I personally have before I, I put the brakes on. Um, aside from that, if an advisor comes to me and they go, I'm, working, I'm looking for divorcees or I'm looking to work with just doctors, 
then I have to be very realistic with them. And I, I have to say, listen, we don't segment anything more than geography and movable investable asset range. And without going through my demo right here of like who we really capture and why we're capturing so many of those assets, I would say to that person, just know pre-retirees at retirement, you know, 860,000 in assets and 70% have never worked with an advisors or demo. It's like, you know, but I can't tell you we're going to match you up with divorces. Like it's not going to happen. So if that's your only criteria, then maybe you shouldn't join because I don't want you to waste your money. They could just go on match.com and start calling people. <laughs> right? Like that would be like, that's quick thinking. I could say that and then uh, they might do it. <laughs> oh, that, that's awesome. Um, so, well, you know, it's, it's interesting, Mike, because, you know, we, we are, you know, working in the same, you know, pool The the bit of a difference that the advisors that you're typically working with, right. You, they're, they're vetted, right. You have to vet them and they, ha they have to have certain licensing and things of that nature. Right. So some people that may be listening right now, um, if you don't mind, you know, will you give maybe sort of like the the fundamental baseline in order to use your services? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So our, our criteria, our disclosures go over that you have to be a financial advisor, local and registered with an IA tag, which is generally a series 66, 65, maybe CFP um, within the state you're working. And you can't have any disclosures uh, or most disclosures within the past 10 years. And the demo we're targeting, because this is hugely important, and I learned this firsthand from my 2008 experience working at New York Life and the retirement plan services where, where people were calling me up, is that we're capturing a lot of money from people that are setting retirement dates and have significant assets that they've saved over years, but have never been considered affluent. You know, so they might have north of a million dollars, but they turn to us because they go, I've never had to think of my finances before, never had an advisor. So they go and they look at their retirement account, maybe in a money market target date fund, or maybe in a mixture of mutual funds. And they go, where do I go from here with this, along with seven other things that I need handled? And those plans aren't motivated to give them necessarily the resources to either one, make a decision or move their money out of the plan. And so they Google a Forbes article on retirement or see us on Instagram. Are you prepared for your retirement or Google retirement calculator? And then they go, okay, I can now go through this service, do 15 minutes of work, get a disclosure-free advisor backed by smart asset. And maybe for a free service, I'll find one of the three choices, a good fit for me. And that's really where I think advisors are missing the mark is where technology is these days and how many people go to that resource to get advice because they're uncomfortable knowing what's around them. Can't tell you how many people are like, there's a Merrill Lynch down the street. Why would they go to me? I'm like, because that's not how people think anymore. No, no. And I've been saying it for quite some time now that, um, you know, what was supposed to happen in 2030 happened in 2020, right? So, yep. uh, you know, one of the things that makes our offering so unique, obviously, it's it's completely opposite of what most advisors do, which is we lead with estate and legacy planning as the foundational approach to client acquisition. Um, and that's a, our differentiator. But the beauty of our platform is it is all digital, but it's all white glove, personalized, you know, hand holding support all along the way to get all that stuff done. And then the advisor on the back end, whenever their clients get done with that experience, they're just thanking them so much for this, pro this solution that they were like, hey, 
I was under the impression the only way I could get this stuff done is by going and seeing an estate planning attorney. Well, the digital age, I mean, there's at least five different, I could rattle them off real fast, uh, softwares that are being utilized right now in the financial advisory space where the estate planning is, is done. And that's sort of how they're differentiating them and how we separate ourselves that we still leverage not only the technology, but also the personal touch and that, that you can't lose that personal touch. So I'm curious on this, when you're talking about the lead acquisition, you know, for your perspective, smart asset uh, clients, they are starting with strangers, right? This, they don't know these clients at all. So they have to cultivate that. And that takes some time, right? To be able to, you know, nurture them and continually, you may get somebody and you call them and you, continuously work with them, but you have to learn how to nurture those prospects along the way as well, right? Yeah, I mean, we give you all the tips, tricks, and tools, if you want to call them that, from successful advisors on our platform in terms of cadence and outreach. That's more for consistency, as well as making sure people are organized and following up with their leads, because people get so many calls and emails these days it's way different than 10 years ago, where if someone avoided my call for three times, they'd be like, they're ghosting me. They're not, they, they, they don't want to talk to me. Nowadays, I think people just get calls and they're like, don't know that number. And then next thing you know, you pick them up at the right time. But I think it's more of a state of mind. Like when I was wholesaling, you would do a client dinner at Del Frisco's with like 20 people and you would get 10 people in your network and some of them would bring a friend. Some of them would have people you don't know. And it's tangible. It's like in front of you. I'm going to meet these people. But what you don't see behind the scenes is that out of 22 people getting free meals at Del Frisco's that took a lot of money, anywhere from two to $5,000, um, you would also get people after the meal that would take meetings just because they got a free meal. So you'd have like eight meetings, six of which would probably be just because they felt bad about it, and you'd close two clients. So when I look at this product, I don't look at it as any different. I just look at it as a, as a kind of a new way of doing business. People are more comfortable putting their information online and they're almost just as warm, if not warmer, because the close rate of these remind me exactly of the same client dinners and seminars, except in fact, you spend less money and use less time in, in trying to close them. So I'd say it's more of like wrapping our heads around the new way of doing business than anything. I know that wasn't answering your question, yeah, but no, no, no. it kind of goes hand it, in hand. It does answer the question, though, actually. It, it's, it's Okay, cool. Um, they, they are. Um, I just, I'm just, in my mind, I'm envisioning that the client themselves, the first time that they, let's say they pick up the phone, they have never talked to this advisor before them, right? Correct. Okay. That, that's what I meant by it's, it's still stranger lead acquisition, but because they've gone through your vetting process, they tend to be more of a warm lead. Not exactly like cutting into a you know bone in fillet, but um, you know th there definitely is some warmth there that they're sort of expecting someone to be reaching out to them. Yeah, and that's why I like that we stop at three advisors reaching out because it's just the the right amount of people for the investor to feel like they have a choice and the power of choice to sign with one of them without leaving our page and going back to the internet. Because if it was a one to one match it actually hurts success rates. And this is what advisors have trouble wrapping their heads around, just like anyone, because you want an exclusive lead, but you don't realize that that exclusive lead isn't really exclusive. It's just, you might be the only one reaching out, but there's the world of the internet out there for them too. And that's kind of the difficult part. So by 
giving them three options. It actually helps juice success rates because they trust smart asset. They find the right fit and want to sign with them. And number two, it's like we give you that survey, which I talked about, because a lot of lead companies might tell you this is a warm lead. But if I don't see the proof, then why would I believe you? So seeing the 31 questions that they want an advisor to reach out can spark the right conversation. And, you know, listen, not every lead's going to be a home run, but it, that's why if you sign 5% of them, you're making really good, good money and hopefully building a client base that fits that demo I spoke of earlier. But yeah, it's a, it's a new age. I agree. It's like, you know, you know, you're still calling strangers yeah, and you yeah. still got to, you know, have the gift of gab, as I say about me, like I, I would do well at it. Is yeah. it for everyone? I don't know. Um, we'll <laughs> find out, but most advisors are in that position for a reason because yeah. they, because they can talk to people. It's my opinion. For sure. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. Um, so Tim James, do you have anything about smart advisor or smart asset that, you know, as a former wealth advisor, you know, you know how we are living in this, you know, internet age. And, and I've been saying again for quite some time, that the clientele that our advisors are after the ideal clients, right? 55 to 85, somewhere in that range, right? Who have accumulated wealth and they have wealth. Um, they've been forced thrust into being comfortable online, right? So now at least you, at this point, you're not having to convince people about being online and being comfortable, you know, having those types of conversations. So what do you think, uh, you know, from your perspective as a former wealth advisor, with um well for me i just i just think it's really simple i mean if you have uh you have to have lead you have to have a constant source of lead generation if you don't have it you know you're out of business you're either you're going to be running around going to you know um lead gen meetings at, you know 7 a.m in the morning meet a bunch of people and then everybody's just trying to get leads they really don't produce leads i started at my a buddy of mine said you need to start a lead a, a lead group so I did, and I followed his principles, and I would work my ass off and show up, and I'm during the day talking to people, and I'm handing out leads all over the place, and like you just don't get a whole lot back. So it's almost like you put in all this effort. I mean, it's not that they don't work. Some of them do, but what I've noticed when I joined, uh, I got coached. They said the, the groups that worked the best that they had actually studied, this is actually was real estate professionals and mortgage professionals across the United States. The two that actually paid well was being in Rotary that was one. And the other one was small groups of just guys or gals just getting together, just talk about life and other. And the key there was like you to be in that group of people that made at least 250,000 a year or they had an assistant. That means they were kind of really active and growing and they were, you know, they had the ability to refer you business and you could actually refer them. So tight knit groups that met once a week that was not just about business, but they did a lot of business together. And then Rotary was about, you know, giving back to the community. And it was a lot of like re retired people, successful business people that were wanting to give back. And then they were always like watching new people come in and road. Are they just here to get leads? And then they're watching. You got to show up. You got to do the work. And then once you're part of the group, business was just a natural flow. So if you're not going to go out and work, work your tail off and do all that stuff, which I, I think you should. I think you should have a small knit group and have business owners and you should have your business uh, contacts and you should you know, maybe join the Rotary and give back to the community because uh, that's the whole point. We, we're not doing that enough. I mean, we used to hand out uh, dictionaries to third graders. We clean up the streets in front of uh, buildings and stuff and help uh, business owners that were struggling reface and paint. Their, we, we're doing stuff, right? Um, and um, but the bottom line is, is like you, you have to have some lead generation. So, 
you know, my buddy that was very successful in the financial advisor uh, arena spent $150,000 a year on marketing. Yep. And, you know, he's net. And, and after years, he got to that point. How did he get to that point? He was netting 2.4 million a year. He would plan everything in October, November, plan out the whole year, all of his marketing every month. He knew exactly how much money he was going to spend, where he was going to spend it, where he was going to do his presentations, where, what, what dinner was going to be served at those, at those restaurants and what he, and he knew his topic that he was going to talk about. He had it all planned in advance. Then he just showed up and he just did the work and guess what? His calendar got packed and then eventually he got another advisor, another advisor. Now there's like, I don't know, 18 people over there and they're crushing it in three locations. So lead gen's important. So there you go. All right. So it's time to take a quick break. So when we get back, um, we're going to flip the script and Mike gets to ask me any question on health. We'll be right back. You want the absolute best for yourself and you want it to be easy. That's why we created Green 85. It helps with detoxifying the body gently. We're proud it's chemical free, unlike almost all other supplements you'll find. Bottom line. Green 85 will get you healthier. We look forward to hearing what Green 85 did for you. To get this product and our other amazing products, go to chemicalfreebody.com. That's chemicalfreebody.com. What's up, Enrichers? Tim James here with my co-host, Carter Wilcoxon. Back in the house, Mike Rosenberg from Smart Advisor, Lead Gen Corporation, company, international. They're everywhere. <laughs> Big company. Um, so, Mike, let's flip the script, buddy. Um, go ahead and ask me any question you have on your health, your family's health, community health, anything you want. Sure. Like I, like I said earlier, I'm a work in progress. So, I mean, these are more more abstract questions that I've been fighting with my whole life. And I think one of which I've realized has always been tough for me is like eating healthy isn't hard for me. It just seems expensive and a lot of work. Um, and what I mean by that is like I buy groceries and they have like a finite amount of time or, or, or shelf life. Right. Mm -hmm. So like I, I always set out for a goal of eating healthily. And then I realized this is way too difficult for me. Um, Care to elaborate on some strategies that you have in terms of like eating healthy every day instead, you know, that, that are, that's cheap and effective, so to speak. I can elaborate, but I kind of mean like, yeah, so I get it. Stuff. So and not time consuming either. It's got to be simple. So, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, the bottom line is, is you just eat lower on the food chain, right? And you buy stuff in bulk. I mean, that's what it boils down to nuts, seeds, grains, beans, and then, and then things like sprouts. Sprouts are things that you guys can grow at home 365 days a year on your countertop. It's not hard. You don't even need soil. So if you're looking at like, I mean, you know, some of the, some of the, some of the things are, you know, the, the packaged so-called quote unquote healthier stuff where it's all cut up and done for you. Yeah. I mean, that stuff, you know, soups that are pre-made and all that stuff is it's going to, it's going to cost more because you got more hands involved in it. There's more time. You know, but and the problem is, is that the work product goes down. So the more you have somebody in between you and your food source, between you and Mother Earth, um, the lower the quality. So it sounds like you were buying fresh stuff. So one thing you can do to keep your stuff fresher, especially your vegetables, make sure your refrigerator is set between 34 and 42 degrees, fairly cold. 
and then that's going to help you maintain it. The other thing is you want to do is you want to get things called green bags, green bags. They're called Debbie Myers bags or Everett Fresh bags. These bags are permeable and they have this mineral in them called Oya and they just, they, I'm just telling you, like, even if you're not into getting healthy and you want your vegetables fresher, it's amazing. Like, it's amazing. I'm like, how did I not know about these when I got into this like 11 years ago? Like you, you put it in there, you get there, wrap them up and you stick them in there. And my God, and then those bags will last like four or five, six months. Then you replace them with another one. I would suggest getting a mixture like large, medium and small. So then you can put different stuff in them. Right. And then put it usable. Yeah. And then just put it. Yeah. You just uh, clean up the stuff in water, dry them out. So then you just put a date. I, when I bought, when I take them out and I use them, I put the date on it. And then I know when I started with it and about four or five months later, I pitch it and get another one. Right. Green bags are amazing to keep your stuff fresh. So, you know, something like, um, you know, simple fixes like right out of the gate is like a lot of people eat lots of rice. Okay. Perfect example. Rice today is not really that healthy. Okay. So rice is a grass and the, and that, that seed that comes up, it's a pretty good deal for us, but um, they have to strip the uh, bran off of it. That's rice bran. And all you're left with, and, and, and in the bran is where 90% of the nutrition is. All you're left with is like an empty starchy carbohydrate. That's like brown rice and white rice. Garbage. And the reason why is because for like 1,500 years, they've been hybrid, spliced and spliced and spliced. So I've tried sprouting these things. You can't sprout them. I'm a master sprouter. And you can't, you, you can't get them to sprout. Like they just don't do it. They're so molecularly dense, just like black beans, soybeans. Soybeans, black beans, and rice are very dense. You, you look at the nutritional qualities under a microscope. They're awesome. But, the, but you can't digest them. So those are the, those are like stay away from soybeans and black beans. All the other beans are good and look out for only rice. You would want is wild rice. Now, the reason why, again, is they strip that bran off as an example, because there's a digestive enzyme in there called lipase and it would actually um, digest the rice itself. And the rice would go rancid within six months of storage, big corporations. That's not good for them. They need to be able to store that ship it and, and all over the place. So they strip the bran off, remove 90% of the nutrition. You're left with these starchy carbohydrates. That's all you got left, right? It's just basically eating a mouthful of sugar. So if you're going to have rice, all wild rice, or we switch people over to like things like quinoa, a healthy seed, or teff, an Ethiopian grain, right? Stuff like this. Amazing stuff. So, um, and then there's other things like amaranth, uh, uh, teff. Uh, well, I mentioned teff. I mean, uh, there was something else that was that. Kamut spelt there's different grains you can get that have not been so commercialized yet right now here's the cool thing you can buy this stuff in like 25 50 pound bags and get it instead of paying like you buy a little box of something and you're paying like 12 dollars a pound for it if you were to measure it out you can buy it in a 50 pound bag and get it for two dollars and 39 cents you see and then you just have storage buckets so you start building up your storage you build up your seeds and there's two things that'll happen here number one you're going to save a lot of money a lot of money. Your food's going to be fresher because you're sprouting it out of the gate. You get to choose because you can talk to the farms directly and get to know them and find out what their planting practices are and make sure they're remineralizing the soil and how they do it. And even better if they do permaculture where they don't till at all. Right? That's the best for all those microbiome and the soil bacteria in there. So, you know, that's good. But also, you know, like look around. People are worried about if, you know, if shit hits the fan, what am I going to do for food? You saw what happened when. Corona first hit and the people running, taking toilet paper. What do you think is going to happen? Most people don't even have a freaking clue what to do, right? 
So I always tell people get a wild foraging book, edible foraging book for your area. You can get them at a used bookstore for four to 10 bucks. Probably the most best investment you can make to not worry about that. About that. But the other thing is, is like, that's the cheapest route, by the way. You have a huge storage of seeds, nuts, grains, beans sitting there that you can make these things into dressings. You can make them. I, I can make a dressing out of sesame seeds. It's unbelievable. You can take sunflower seeds, sprout them, and then you can make a pate out of them. A not a better than tuna salad. Chop up some dill pickle or some onions and some celery, and you and you homogenize in like a food processor. Just some like sprouted sunflower seeds. Like all I mean by that is you soaked them in water for four to six hours. Now they're technically sprouted. They release the natural insecticides, the protectants inherent in any nut seed grain or bean. They become on average eight times more digestible, and the nutrition goes up one hundred to eight hundred percent. Think about that. Want to save money? You put high-quality nutrition into your body, your cells will get what they need, and they'll turn off the hunger hunger signals. You can't eat as much. You just won't need it. And then you don't have you don't have to be like a rental car, just you know, foot to the pedal, just burning gas and going around the corners. That's us just consuming standard American diet, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, breakfast. Just go, 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 wearing out the machinery, the hardware on the inside. When you get high-quality food, the machinery will be like, hey, I don't need to eat anymore. I'm cool. I'm cool. But we are so deficient because we're eating food grown in nutrient deficient soil. So step number one, find nutrient deficient or nutrient dense soils and farmers that have that and then buy in bulk from them, label it, seal it really good in airtight containers. And for long, long term storage, you can actually take um, um, diametaceous earth. You guys familiar with that? Um, Okay, it's like microscopically it's like glass shards but you could like mix it into like make a putty and you could like some people used to they drink that stuff and would clean out their colon and kill parasites and stuff like that but you sprinkle it on carpets or in grass and kill fleas but you can actually swallow it i mean it's okay so but what you can do with diametaceous earth is you can sprinkle a little bit in the bottom of your bucket put some seeds nuts grains or beans in it sprinkle a little bit in the middle and put the and then put a little bit on top once it's full and seal it that way, if there was any bugs in the seeds, which is okay, that's not a bad thing because they were, if they were grown organic, then the, it'll kill them, right? And then you have to deal. And then when you take them out and you soak them, the dead bugs just go away. You just rinse them off and then they sprout and you make them, right? So anyway, there's a lot of things you can do here, Mike. But the, I think the key is, is like eat low on the food chain and really get into storing your food, nuts, seeds, grains, and beans, and try to buy direct through a wholesaler or direct with a farmer. And, um, and then that's, that's some things that you can do to really lower your budget. And then you need some recipes other than that. I mean, you just got to get yourself a few recipes and, you know, you can make a big pot of soup too on Sunday. And then, you know, you have the soup you can eat through throughout the rest of the week. Right. So you can make bigger meals and stuff like that on the weekends. And, and then, um, and then just add the sprouts to them as you go. So, so Mike, you, you are now in Connecticut correct you're yeah yeah unmute mike up top must have bumped it yeah oh my fault yeah i'm in connecticut no so um i you know it was funny whenever tim was talking look i i've been to the northeast i think three times total and it was only because i was flying out of some airport headed you know across the pond so i've never really been out in the northeast right so when I hear Connecticut or New York or Boston or whatever, I'm not picturing farms anywhere in that location to be able to find, you know, uh, these types of things. But I would imagine that there's got to be farmland somewhere. You're in the 
burbs. There's got to be maybe more rural areas somewhere, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, way more than New York City, that's for sure. I mean, I moved here about eight months ago. But, um, yeah, we got some farm stands. I, I think Trader Joe's would still be the place I go to. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm I guess I'm a city boy as it stands now, as, as they call it. But, like, no, those are all good. And I always fight myself in terms of, like, what I know is healthy for me. What are things that I like to eat, comfort foods mixed with what will hold in the fridge? So I think you did a good synopsis of all of that um, in terms. Of, I feel like I'll know where to find it, but it's still difficult. I mean, I'm not in farm country, but I think there are some some places out here. Yeah, yeah. I was just I was just curious whenever when Tim was talking about that. I mean, obviously I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and um, there is a farmers market that I just happen to know. Every Saturday, you go to the farmer's market and you can get all types of these, you know, really, you know, cool stuff. I, but without searching for it, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, man, is there anything in Connecticut that you could go to? My ignorance is. No, I think I could find it now. Whereas in New York City, I would say no. Because yeah. like just getting out of the apartment and going through traffic to do this was like already too much time. But like considering that now I'm in the burbs. No, I, I feel like if I want it bad enough, you know, I could search for it and yeah. find it. Yeah. Tim, what else we got? I got a question for you, Tim. Yeah, I got, go I got, I got a follow-up here. What about that thing you said about milk earlier, right? Like, how much do we know about health? And then how do you, like, know that it's going to be healthy in five years when we find out something else about it? I feel like every time I'm in the grocery, I'm always like, oh, this is what's healthy now. But they're just going to tell me in five years that it's not healthy. If well, you know milk, what I'm talking, I mean, yeah, that's milk, a trick question, actually. I don't yeah, well, milk is an example. I mean, the it's, you know, all we have to do is plug into common sense. What's the purpose of cow's breast milk in nature? It's for a baby cow. How long? Until that baby cow's weaned, and then it goes and eats what? Grass. Okay. So why are we drinking cow's milk? Like, would you, in nature, would you go suck on the breast of a cow? If so, then maybe milk's a good thing for you. Right. If not, how, and why, why, why cows? How come we don't drink giraffe milk or, um, you know, lion milk or rat milk? Why, why is it a cow? Well, because cows are huge. They're big. They're very, they've been bred and hybrid. They're very docile. They can be manipulated easy. And they can also, then they turn them into hamburger at the end of the day. Right. And while they're producing dairy, they're spitting out babies. They keep them lactating 24 seven. Cows usually, I mean, we've had cows on the farm that would live 20, 25 years old. These cows wear out in four, four and five, half, five years because they're constantly in keeping them, uh, injecting them with hormones. And then um, they're in constantly impregnating them. Um, they put them in these things called rape racks. I mean, the whole thing's disgusting. Their nipples are completely exhausted, just sore all the time from being milked. It's a, it's a terrible thing. And as soon as they have the baby, the baby's gone. They send the baby off and make veal out of it. Right. And the moms and the babies are screaming for days. It's a really terrible process. So when you when, when you drink that milk, also because of these cows are so infected, like even some clean milk, what you think would be clean, uh, like a glass of it could have 100,000 pus molecules in it because there's a systemic natural infection happening inside this breast milk production because it's supposed to have a baby, have its breast milk and then rest until the next season. Once a year, one time a year, a cow should have a, a child. Uh, and then it would heal from, you know, imagine your wife having babies coming out 
one after another after another after another. She's she's gonna she's gonna wear out. Like she can't do that. She, she's gonna have a few kids, one, two, three, four, whatever it is, maybe more. I don't know. And then that's it. She's gonna have some time in between. It's birth is a very you know it's 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 a big traumatic. deal. It's yeah. traumatic. You know it's it's tough on the body. There's a lot of stuff going on. Things I'm a one year old, so I know well. Right. So, and then, but if you look at it in a scientific point of view, it's like, you know, well, what's, what's, what's cow's milk made of? Well, the main protein in it is casein. Casein causes cancer. I mean, we know this, like Dr. Uh, was T. Colin Campbell was doing research in the Philippines to try to help poor, you know, kids with protein deficiencies. So he's like, oh, we'll use casein in milk. And with rats, he was able to like, give them 5% protein. And most of that protein was eight, I think 85% of it was casein, the main protein found in milk. Well, no problem. But when he pumped it up to 20%, all the rats developed tumors. And then he took them back down to 5% and the tumors went away. Gave them back to 20% protein, tumors came back. So he was literally turning cancer on and off with the amount of protein going in us. How much cancer do we have today in our society? <laughs> A lot. Okay, Over yeah. half of us are dying of cancer half okay turn it on turn it off you want to turn it off you know you get away from dairy products you get away from sucking on the breast of a cow that's that's one step that's one thing now there's also chemical toxins out there that are a huge part of this like my buddy's um uh, chronic lymphocytic leukemia the first thing the doctor said he goes you ever work in a plywood plant he's like well actually i did for a little while when i was in college he's like yep there's chemicals in those plywood plants always attached to this chronic lymphocytic leukemia thing we found that out over years of, of studying it just having these people come in. The other thing is casein. You, you, we don't have the substance in our gut to, to digest it. You can look it up. So in the baby cow, they have a substance called renin. Renin breaks down that casein protein that's specific to the cow. We don't have it. That's why every human being is lactose intolerant at some level because we can't digest it. That's why um, what they'll do is like it, you know, when you go to these like advisor functions and stuff like that, what do they put out there? They put out a lot of cheese. Why do they put cheese out there? Because it's very cheap to fill you up and keep you full. Why, now, why am I saying that? Because when you eat it, your body just can't digest it. So it's going to stay down there forever and digest and digest and digest. In fact, some medical doctors today, when people have ulcers, they'll say drink some milk. Why? Because the milk will coat the stomach and, and make a barrier for a little while and give the, and give the ulcer a little bit of relief. Right? Hmm. You can't digest it. So all I can tell you is I've watched as a myself and now thousands of clients get off of dairy products, they heal. So that's, that's why I would say, you know, you know, the only milk that we should drink is the breast milk of our mother. And we should do it for a period of at least two years. This is a very important point. You have, you're a new father and you have your wife. I know people get busy and they're like, ah, breastfeeding's for the birds. No breastfeeding is to, is to, it's like the child's going to build strong bones. They're going to grow and build bones for their life. Well, guess what? They're also going to build a strong gut bacteria and oral microbiome. All this stuff is going, it's, it's forming right now. And a lot of these antibodies and these uh, things are going to come and bacteria are going to come from mom. Mom should be breastfeeding for at least two years. The average breastfeeder in the, in the world, how long do you think women on average breastfeed in the world, world's population? <laughs> wow. Six years. You're muted again, Mike. Six Wait, year, it's six no, years. No, I was going to say, I, I, I'm, I was going to go lower, but with the world population, I guess higher. So six years is a long time. 
Yeah. That's way yeah. above what I was guessing. I was yeah. going to say three, but. Here's the other thing. I have an experience. Like my first child, his mom got really sick and she, she dried up after about six months. My child, Cody, my oldest now, he's like 20, he's 21. He's had, he's got allergies. He's more, he's been sicker. He's had more colds and stuff. We put him on soy because that's soy Similac because that's what doctor told us to do. Soy milk, what I mentioned earlier, it's indigestible by humans. My son's throwing it up, throwing it up, basically telling me by throwing it up, dad, I can't, he, he couldn't talk. He's like, baby. He's like, bleh, bleh, throwing it up all the time. I can't digest this, dad. And I didn't get it. Just, have some more, have some more, have some more. Force feeding him soybeans, genetically modified soybeans, right? That are that, that create formaldehyde. That's what happens when you disrupt the um, the natural processes of plants, right? You just they they start creating formaldehyde, just embalming fluid, basically. Feeding this to our children. Now, my youngest, he breastfed for four years. He doesn't get a sick hardly at all. I've seen it in my own personal life, so um, it's really important to breastfeed for at least two years. Now, if the wife can't do it, like if she can't breastfeed, something happens or whatever, then we like to do like sprouted nut milks. And we, we have actually mixed them with our green powder. Like I took, I stripped some stuff out of here, like ashwagandha and astragalus out of the formula, just so that pregnant and breastfeeding women could take the formula. We could give it to children. It's a nutrient replacement. That's a full meal replacement. What about, you know, it's interesting. Pea milk, uh, P-E-A, uh, Ripple, is what we're feeding our child now. What do you think of that? This is now more personal. Between me and yeah, you. yeah, let's what? look it up. So um, I'm familiar with that brand. Um, it's like, but honestly, I, I, this touched home for me. I feel like as I get older, I go, do I need dairy? I almost well, I feel like you, I can tell you right now, now it's, 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 not, it's not casein. So that's good, right? Cool. Um, All right. I'm looking at the ingredients. <laughs> I was gonna say because we got some ripple in the fridge, and you know, I just <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah, it's Trial a good there. So um, the, the the first ingredients water. So my first question is is what kind of water? Is it tap water that's polluted? Water really needs to be purified. So you got to think about this because when your child was born, you can you guys anybody can type this in. Mike, I suggest you do this after the podcast. Type in these three words: umbilical cord and chemical. Umbilical cord chemical. Every since 2005, there's studies going back that show that every single child and young mother's umbilical cord blood. They they tested it for like let's say 400 chemicals. They found 250 of what they're looking for, and 180 cause cancer in humans, and 212 cause developmental and brain disorders. Children are being polluted today because mommy and daddy are polluted. These toxins are so pervasive today; they've bioaccumulated in our our fat tissue, our muscle tissue, and our blood, and then we breed. We're actually de-evolving as a species. Right. Because, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, um, uh, well, Ripple doesn't exist. I would suggest you make your own milk is what I'm getting to. So you want to have it minimal processed as possible. Um, And then I'm pulling it up right now. So water, pea protein. And then, you know, I'm asking questions like, is it sprayed with chemicals? Uh, The third ingredient, though, is sugar, organic cane sugar. Now, sugar is, you know, I usually don't tell people to get off of too many things, but sugar, the molecule structure of sugar is almost identical to, to cocaine, the structure of it. It's three times more addictive. Yeah, so he sugar, doesn't like the unsweetened, so that makes sense. Yeah, well, go. he's getting hooked on it. It's just like, yeah. it's, a, it's a drug. It really is. Sugar is a drug, no question. I think I'm hooked on it too. Then there's other stuff here, vitamin A, palminate, which is, I mean, I love, that's great. 
vitamin D2, blah, blah. But my question is, is are those naturally occurring sources of vitamin A pulmonate or are they um, made a synthetic version in a lab, right? DHE, algal oil, okay, great. Calcium phosphate, dipassium phosphate, sulfur left, natural flavors. Now with that one right there, I would run because what are they? By law, natural flavors can be 90% synthetic, only 10% needs to be natural. Guargum's fine, sea salt, okay. I'd rather have like some type of Himalayan salt. It's got some minerals in it. Um, so anyway, I would suggest, I would give you, um, a C plus right now, um, because that's almost so my GPA at Tulane, just to bring this full circle. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a little it's below, but it kind of <laughs> makes sense. It's a lot better. It's a lot better than dairy. So you guys should applaud yourself because I was feeding my child, uh, Similac and, um, I, you know, I, I try to be loving towards myself because I was so mad at myself for not knowing this. But you don't know. You just kind of go on along. You look, there's a whole god dang aisle full of it. Similac. And you're like, everybody else is grabbing it. I was like, oh, doctor told me to get it. And I go back to my busy life. I'm just doing what I'm told. We have to start being the gatekeepers of what goes in our mouths and in our child's mouth. We have to read every ingredient. Every ingredient. And you know the scary thing is that you can read every ingredient and you still don't even know what's in some of these things. Cereals, as an example, they have chemists, very expensive chemists, that are putting opiate derivatives into the into the cereal study even further addict kids and they don't even have to put it on the label opiate derivatives are in cereal today not to mention the high fructose corn syrup and the corn syrup and all that stuff i can go look at the the cereal aisle there's usually one brand you can get ezekiel brand cereal that's the one the the, the one that's sprouted it's a sprouted grain cereal Pretty much the rest of them are junk. I mean, there's a few in there, depending on which store you go to. But if you go to the major box stores and stuff, it's all just garbage. It's it's human-destroying garbage, and um, it's not good. It's not good at all for – I mean, look around. I mean, shit, everybody's overweight and sick. People are dying, heart disease and cancer. It's, ridic it's ridiculous. So we just have to be smart. We have to be an intelligent system. We can't be dumb systems anymore. We have to – um, have sensors and we have to understand there's these things called disturbances out there that are going to affect our system. And we, as the controller, we can dictate what those inputs are. So we can, just like you decided to, instead of buying dairy, you bought the ripple. Well, we can look over here and you can go to like blue mountain organics and you can buy some sprouted nut butters. And with a high speed, high speed blender, you can very quickly make your own sprouted nut milks in five seconds. And then you could put like a scoop of our greens in it. And then that would be a, that would be like not only a, a baby formula, but I put like high level athletes on this stuff. People that want to build muscle, men that want to build muscle, women that want to have strength. People want to gain weight, um, have good high quality fats in their diet for their cells, um, for the lipid membrane around their cells. So there you go, buddy. Greens, <laughs> green milk is the way to go. Um, if your child can't do it, um, celery juice is another thing that would be good. Um, if you had to do animals, had to, had to, had to, I would say use raw goat's milk because it, because other thing too, is that people don't think about this stuff. A child grows from like seven pounds to 21 pounds in the first year. So they triple in size, but a cow's going to go from like a hundred pounds to like, you know, six, 700 pounds. So it's like a six to seven ratio. See, it's, it's, it, the growth factor is too much. Whereas a, a goat is more of like a three to one, like us. Right. And you want to get raw milk. That's unpasteurized. But you got to be careful because any what they're doing right now is they're actually cracking down on these raw milk places because if it's not pasteurized, you know, you could hurt somebody. E. coli and salmonella. That's what they're worried about. But if it's done right, not a big deal. So I get it. Little house in the prairie. Mom died um, or sick. 
pop pause pause going to go out in the barn and milk the cow and try to keep the baby alive okay that makes sense but we're in the 21st century now and we're a little bit beyond that we should be intelligent intelligent beings not just run around um uh you know doing what the television says thank you i'm gonna, I'm gonna tell my wife i mean she's the other half that that actually looks this deeply into things i i'm a little bit of a wild card so this was actually very informative appreciate it awesome yeah, yeah, I awesome. get a lot of women that love me about that. They're like, why is it like I've been telling my husband this for 12 years? He hears you once on a podcast. Now he's running around telling me to start doing this. <laughs> Honestly, like, I just do what I'm told anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah. well, that that's our MO, right? We, you know, happy wife, happy life. That's that's trust me. That'll never change. Just so we're clear. Yeah. now speaking of which, I probably have to go in a couple of minutes. Yeah, no, no, no. We, we, well, we're going to go ahead and wind it down and everything. Unless Mike, do you have anything else that uh, that question wise or whatever no no listen thank you both for having me on maybe should have prepared a little bit better to make it a little bit more succinct but hopefully it was entertaining to some (laughs) people out there including yourself and i learned something from you tim so appreciate it thank you carter uh i'm gonna try to try to nudge those people over at my company again but uh appreciate talking to you guys hey are are you kidding me Uh, look here's the deal we got to be your very first podcast that you were on yep so so if nothing else We've got that, right? Oh, 100%. I, I Listen, I had a lot of fun. Learned a lot. <laughs> and trust me, the enrichers are going to en- enjoy this. It was fun, uh, very entertaining and everything. So uh, we really do thank you for being on here. So, hey, enrichers, thank you again for joining us for another Health & Wealth podcast. To be able to listen to all of our previous podcasts, make sure to check out our website at thehealthandwealthpodcastshow.com. <laughs> This podcast went a little bit longer than, than normal, maybe. I got, got a little bit, woo. Um, and then also, like, share, and subscribe. You can get all of your podcast recordings on Apple, Spotify, and Google uh, as well. So make sure that you do like, share, and subscribe. So for Mike Rosenberg from Smart Asset and Smart Advisor, and my co-host, Mr. Chemical Free Body, Tim James, I am Carter Wilcoxon, CEO and founder of CSI Financial Group and co-founder of Epic Services Company. Wishing you all a very wonderful rest of your day and happy abundance. We will see you next time on the Health and Wealth Podcast Show. Thank you, everybody. Hey, Enrichers. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Health and Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Carter Wilcoxon. And I'm your host, Tim James. And by God, we are committed to helping you guys have fat wallets, flat bellies, So tune in again for another episode and make sure to like, share, and drink a lot of water. Or beer. You have just listened to the Health and Wealth Podcast with Carter and Tim. 